Who's glad you came to church today? Anybody glad you came to church today? Come on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, y'all can have a seat. Everybody can have a seat. Welcome to week number one of our brand new series called Running with Horses. This is an end times series. And some of you have been literally chomping at the bit, no pun intended. Since you saw the announcement, you got the email that said, we're going to be talking about the end times. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be fun. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. If, if you're new, if, if maybe you've never been to this church before, this is not a topic that we tend to address like every week. But it is a topic that I believe is important to address. And I, I do uh, think that you'll see why in just a moment. One of my mentors shared this outline with me. And matter of fact, quite a few churches within our network, we've all decided to preach the same series together. We're going to be talking about the end times, the, the tribulation, the rapture, the antichrist, all the things you hope your pastor will address when you bring a friend to church for the first time. <laughs> but what I, what, I, what, I really, um, what I really hope that we can get out of this today is I really want for you to be able to dis discern the signs of the times. I, I, want, I want you to be able to discern between the spirit of God at work in the world today and the spirit of the Antichrist, which I know, again, th this whole topic can kind of freak some people out, but, but as we dive into the word, you're going to understand and see there is a spirit of Antichrist at work in the world today. And this spirit often represents itself as God, as godly, and According to the scripture, many have been deceived, many are being deceived, many will be deceived, and I just don't want that for anybody who's a part of this church. So wherever you're joining us from today, in person, online, if you're joining us on television or from one of the hundreds of prisons that are tuned in right now, it is an honor to worship alongside of you. Special welcome to Jim, who's watching right now from death row in Chillicothe, Ohio, who wrote to me this week and said, Pastor Chad, it's not just me, but there is a, there, there's a bunch of us on the row that are being impacted by these sermons every single week. And so I just want you to know we're glad to be worshiping alongside of you. And Jim, I pray the, the presence and the power of the Spirit of God, I pray that his presence would overwhelm your cell, would overwhelm your row. I pray that every prison, every home, every space where people are gathered right now, I pray that there would be an overwhelming sense of your presence, that, Lord, you would speak to us like only you can that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today and what your spirit longs to say to your church. I pray that you would use your word to convict us, challenge us, comfort us, change us like your word and the power of your spirit does so well. We give this day to you. We give this moment to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Come on, can we make some noise one more time for Jesus? If you have your Bible, 
go ahead and open your Bible if you brought your Bible. If not, we'll put the verses on the screens in front of you. But if you have your Bible, open your Bible to the very back. We're going to be just a few pages to the left of the very last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to get to Revelation in a moment. But turn to 1 John chapter 4, just a few pages to the left of the book of Revelation. I'm going to read this to you first. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. This is how you can discern God's Spirit from other spirits, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice, not the person Antichrist. There is a person who is the Antichrist. I will explain the person in a moment. But just like we no longer have physical Jesus in the flesh walking the earth, but the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, is active and at work all around the world today. The spirit of the Antichrist, the Bible says, which you have heard is coming, is even now already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is already even now in the world. Now, separating the spirit from the person, the the person who is the Antichrist is an end times person, a, a very real world leader who may or may not be alive today. I know throughout the, the years, many have been accused of being the Antichrist. I think more than one pope or two has been accused of being the Antichrist. Everybody wants to know who is it going to be. I don't know if that person is living today. He very well could be alive today somewhere in the world. However, what I can tell you is the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and at work and gaining traction quickly right now here in the world. The person will rise to power in the end times as we draw closer to Jesus' triumphant return. He will rise to power During a a season of time, a seven-year period called the tribulation, he is a man of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a man who is already doomed to destruction, already doomed. He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. So this is just some background on the Antichrist. He is a a man, a world leader who will promise and deliver on his promise for a season safety, peace, prosperity, and security for everybody in the world. He will form a one world government, a system of rule and law. He will deliver on his promise of peace. He'll even usher in peace in the Middle East. He'll he'll even uh, bring peace to Israel, which church is something that we ought to all be praying for. We ought to pray for the peace of Israel because we don't even have to get past the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where we read, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. This is God speaking to Abraham on behalf of his people, Israel. We need to pray for the peace and the prosperity of Israel. But the Antichrist will bring peace even in Israel throughout the Middle East for the first three and a half years of what the Bible describes as a seven-year tribulation. 
And then midway through the tribulation, at that three and a half year point, the Antichrist will break his treaty and literally hell will be unleashed on earth. Anybody glad you came to church so far? Is this just not the most encouraging message you've ever heard? <laughs> there will be an ultimate showdown between the Antichrist and the armies of the world and Jesus in the battle of Armageddon. I've been to the valley of Armageddon. It is a very real place. It is a strategic place. It is a place, a valley where many battles have already been fought. The Bible describes that the final battle will take place in this valley. But throughout the tribulation, evil will prevail throughout the world. And when the Antichrist comes to power and he promises peace and safety and security and he'll deliver on that promise, he will set himself up as God. When he finally reveals who he really is, he will set himself up as God. He will demand to be worshipped. And the Bible tells us that nobody will be able to buy or sell or trade without his mark. He'll control the financial markets. He'll control trade. He'll control armies. He'll control what we see, what we hear. The media will be under his control. And the people of the world will, will literally give him control. And the trade-off will be, we'll give you control if you can give us safety and security and prosperity. And you know what? For the life of me, I could never make sense of how anybody in the world could get the whole world to fall in line. And the trade-off is, we'll make you feel safe. You give us control. And then a global pandemic happened. Come on, somebody. And all I'm saying is, I think that's like a, a really great test run because, and now I'm not saying we're in the tribulation by any means, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is, if you can instill enough fear in people, you can get people to do anything you want them to do. And so what we've seen is, just, just so you know, what we've seen is the whole world has fallen in line because we want to be safe, we want to feel safe, and, and the whole world will fall in line again according to the word of God, but this time under the control of one world power. People will literally give him control. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 24 during the tribulation. He says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, let me just stop here and say this. If anybody's feeling anxious right now, maybe you understand a lot about the, the tribulation, the rapture, end times, events. You've studied this, you know this, and you're still anxious about it. Or maybe you're hearing this for the first time and, and you're, you're starting to become anxious. Like, this doesn't sound like good news. I thought the Bible was just encouraging. Understand that that end times prophecy in the Bible is not given to scare you, it's given to prepare you. So, so that's, that's first. This ought not scare you, it, it ought just to prepare you, but, but we do have hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Hope has a name, his name is Jesus. And all I want you to know is, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture right now and I'm, I'm throwing a lot down at you right now, but, but what we need to know is, is that those who are in Christ Jesus will dwell with Jesus forever, right? So, so there is hope and we, we just gotta get through this right here. 
Jesus says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, there's the Messiah, or here he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anybody tells you there he is in the wilderness, don't go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so there will be, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is, is literally quoting Old Testament prophets right there. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, Jesus is talking about real end time events. He's referring to a real rapture, which is his return, a real tribulation, a real and physical antichrist. But again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, regardless if the antichrist is alive right now, the spirit of the antichrist is already in the world. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Now, I personally believe, as do most pastors that I know, I personally believe that the church will be spared from the majority of the tribulation. I personally believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or at least a mid-tribulation rapture somewhere before it really starts to hit the fan. I, I do believe that the church will be spared just like God spared Noah and his family from the flood, right? Just as though God, before he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, said to Abraham in Genesis 18, for the sake of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. I will spare my people. Just like God spared his people at Passover, when the death angel came and took the lives of all the firstborn throughout Egypt, you can, you can read that story for yourself later. But those who had placed the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their homes, they were spared. Church, we too are covered by the blood of the lamb. He is the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I do believe that we will be spared from the worst of it from the worst of it, but what we are not spared from is the work of the spirit of the Antichrist who is already, again, gaining strength and gaining strength quickly in the world today. And if you're still wondering, what does this have to do with horses? I don't understand running with horses. Well, in the book of Revelation chapter 6, the, John the apostle who's given a vision of the end times, in his vision he sees four Horses, And you may have heard of these, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And you thought maybe it's just, that's just from Hollywood. That's not from Hollywood. That's from the Bible, the book of Revelation. This is not science fiction. This is a vision that John the Apostle had, and he wrote it down. And, and one reason that we study this is according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, he says, blessed is the one who reads these words, who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear these words and who take what is written to heart because the time is near. 
We don't know the, the, the exact time or day or hour, but the time is near. And blessed are those who study these words, who hear these words, and who take these words to heart. That's what we're doing right now. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. John, who is given this vision, he, he says this. I looked and I saw a white horse before me. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. We have a horse and a rider. The rider has a, a bow. A bow is, is used for war. A bow is used to cause disruption and chaos. A crown is given to a leader. What we know of the first horse, the white horse, the spirit of the white horse will bring with it disruption, deception, and destruction. As the end times draw near, what you can expect is war and more war and rumors of war, chaos, disruption, the absence of calm and in its place, more chaos. And when the physical antichrist appears, he will come with a solution to the chaos of the world and he will bring peace. But in doing so, he will also deceive the world. Deception is his native language. So he will bring peace to the world for three and a half years, but through great deception. Then another horse came out, says John, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. Anybody recognize the spirit of Antichrist at work right now in our world? He takes peace from the earth and he makes people kill each other. I really do believe as a pastor that because we no longer value life in the womb, we no longer value life, and you can see that all around us. We don't value life. We don't value one another. It's man against man, woman against woman, mother against child. It's just bloodshed everywhere. To him was given a large sword. Well, the red horse will bring fear and violence. You'll, you'll be afraid to go out into the streets because of the chaos and the violence. The, the spirit of the red horse is here now. I looked and there was before me a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. In the New Testament, scales were used to buy and to sell. We use currency. They in the New Testament used scales. The, the black horse will bring economic catastrophe. Inflation will rise so that a day's wage will only get you enough wheat to feed your family for a day or two. Don't damage the oil or the wine. It's all you've got. You better hold on to it. And when the Antichrist comes, he will fix the supply and the demand issue, but only by deceiving the world. For he will cause all, Revelation 13, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. So that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
so that everything that can be weighed will be weighed, and everything that can be accounted for and counted will be counted and tracked and distributed according to the system he establishes, and everybody will have what they need for a season. He will solve the supply and the demand issue on a global scale, and I would not be surprised if he uses global warming as his cover, and I've got a little bit more on that thought in a moment, so stay tuned. Anybody ready for that one? Come on. I'm preaching the good, easy stuff right now. Just Because if you can create enough fear and panic and worry in the world, you can control people. That's just, we, we've seen this happen. It's, it's going to happen again. He goes on and he says, I looked and there was before me a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beast of the earth. That would be about 2 billion people killed. Take a breath. We're not there yet. Come on. We're not in the tribulation yet. I don't believe that we are. But the pale horse will bring disease and death on a global scale as has never before been seen. Now, again, if you're a believer, I really do believe the church is going to be spared from the majority of this and maybe all of this, but we do know what these horses represent. And if you're thinking to yourself today, oh, my God, like it doesn't sound like it's good news. I thought the Bible was just good news. This doesn't sound like good news. Will it ever get better? I just want you to know it may never get better than it is right now. It Literally, the world may never become any more peaceful than it is right now. Because when you listen to even Jesus' word, the one thing that Jesus promised, he promised to be peace, but he promised to be peace with us in the midst of the storm. He promised to be with us and never to leave us nor forsake us, but he also promised that in this life you will have trouble. Come on, somebody. There will be storms. He promised us trouble. You will have some heartbreak. You, you are going to go through some things. Life will be challenging. Just know that I'm not going to run from the challenge. I'm not going to leave you. You can still be at peace even when the world is not at peace. You can still have, have confidence in the Spirit of God who is within you even when everybody around you is losing their minds. As we draw closer to the end in Jesus' return, According to the scripture, it's going to get worse, not better. There will be more war. There will be more trouble, more famine, more sickness, more disease, more violence, more chaos. Comparatively speaking, right now, is as bad as it seems at times, and as, as much chaos and destruction and death and pestilence and and famine as there is in the world today, comparatively speaking, right now, we've got it pretty good. It's, it's going okay. I mean, we, we've got it pretty easy compared to what's to come. And the verse that prompted this series is Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. I'm going to read it to you in two translations. First, the message translation, it says this. If you're worn out now, if you can't handle it now, in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against horses? If you can't keep your wits about you now during times of calm, what will happen when real trouble breaks loose like the Jordan in flood? 
The New King James Version says it like this. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you have trusted, they wearied you, how then will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? If you're worn out when life is relatively easy and calm and good and peaceful, because this is relatively good and peaceful and calm and easy compared to what's to come. If you, if you can't keep your head about you now, if you can't keep your heart right now, what makes you think you're going to keep your head then and your heart's going to be kept right then? If you can't run with men, how will you run with, with horses, knowing what these horses represent? If you don't know how to keep your head and your heart right now in a, in a season of calm, what happens in a season of trouble when real trouble comes and your faith is really tested? A season like Jesus described in Matthew 24, verse 6, when in speaking of the end times, he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end has not yet come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, which means it's not going to be popular to be a Christian and to live by biblical values. Many will be offended. That doesn't describe the spirit of the Antichrist at work in the world today. I don't know what does. Many will be offended, many will betray one another, many will hate one another, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many with their banners and flags and slogans and all these things that sound good, they just, they're not of God. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So if you can't endure now, what makes you think you can endure then? If you can't keep up now, what makes you think you can keep up then? How do I keep myself together in times of chaos and panic and war? How do I keep the faith in my head and my heart straight when there's disease and famine and plague all around me? When it's brother against brother and, and, and sister against sister, when... When my dollar means nothing, when, when the world is being deceived, as our cities burn and people's passions burn against each other, what's the remedy? What hope do we have? Because church, we do have hope, amen? We do have hope. What hope do we have? In 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5, the apostle Paul speaks to this issue. He starts with the end, and then what he does is after he paints a picture of the end, he, he begins to give us what really starts to look like a checklist for end times living. How, how should I live in times of chaos and worry and trouble and famine and global outbreak? And what, what, what should I do? How should I think? How shall we live when it hits the fan? He starts with the end in mind. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is the rapture. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So he starts with this great 
in glorious hope, right? We who are in Christ will be with Christ forever. We will dwell with Jesus forever. That's good news. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you. Be alert. Self-control, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And then he really begins again to give us what looks like a checklist when the spirit of the Antichrist is raging and, and there's deception and destruction and fear and worry and violence and economic uncertainty and plague and death all around us. What, what ought we do? Number one, if you're taking notes, we run with the covering and with the connection of our spiritual family. We run with the covering and the connection of our spiritual family, my church, my pastor, my small group, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not trying to face this world all by myself. Verse 12, he says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and they give you spiritual guidance, something all of us need. Show them great respect and wholeheartedly love them because of their work and live peacefully with each other. He's, he's talking to the family. He's saying what a divided world needs is a unified church. The world needs a unified family. Let, let us not neglect meeting together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, not less when the time comes, but all the more as you see the day, the end approaching. What he's saying is don't neglect the family. Don't neglect the teaching of God's word. The world's got a teaching, amen? The world has a teaching. It is a false teaching. And if we're honest, its distribution system is the public school systems and universities and mainstream media and Hollywood. We've got a message. We have a teaching. It is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our distribution system is the church. And so if the church isn't teaching this, who's teaching this? If the church isn't addressing this, who's addressing this? Nobody. But church, we need each other. We are better together. That's why when God saved you, he didn't just save you to himself. He adopted you into his family. When you belong to Christ, you belong to the family of God. I've got your back. I hope you've got mine. The person behind you and beside you and in front of you, we are in this together. We are praying for and with each other. We go to battle together. We celebrate together. We're becoming day by day and step by step more like Jesus together. At least that's the goal. Amen. We're not trying to navigate the chaos of this world all by ourselves. I, I'm not letting the world take you out or your kids out or your kids' kids out. Come on. And I want you to have that same resolve for your family that surrounds you. We're in this together. We're fighting this fight together. We're accomplishing the mission that Jesus has, has called us to accomplish 
together. And number two, not only are we in this together, but we're running with intentionality and purpose. Verse 14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. In other words, church, our our purpose doesn't change when the headlines change. Our purpose remains the same. We're not called to be lazy and timid. We're called to minister to people. Amen? Like Stan Stevers said last week, he said, we are given together the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to take care of the weak, to share the good news of Jesus with those who are lost. We are called to live intentional, focused, on point, on mission, always lives, to make heaven full. It shouldn't matter the headline. It shouldn't matter what's on Twitter. It shouldn't matter how the world is behaving. We've got a church to build. We've got heaven to fill. And we will continue to work until the day that he takes us home. That's why during the pandemic, when people were shut up in their homes, we were in the streets and we were serving people and we were meeting needs and we were ministering to people. Why? Because the work's not done till there's no breath left in these lungs. We don't run from danger. We run into danger. We don't run in fear. We move forward always in faith and by faith. And I had this thought as I was preparing this message that that the covering of family not only provides protection, but it provides direction. As the people in Israel, the people of God in the wilderness were led by and covered by the cloud by day and the fire by night. If you read that story The presence of God hovered like a cloud by day and fire by night. And not only were they covered by the presence, but but where where the cloud went, the crowd went. I'm covered, but, but, but you're also providing direction. When you move, I move. Where the fire would go, the people would follow. I think that's an incredible picture of the church, the family. An idle mind has only time to worry, but active hands as we participate with Jesus in this great kingdom work will produce a harvest that will long outlive, outlast our trouble here and now. And when you put your hands to kingdom work, you are promised kingdom crowns and kingdom rewards. And church, that is some incredible news. Number three, I'm going to give you the first four today. We'll give you the the last five next week. Number three, I will run with patience, with love, and with kindness. Anybody been thinking lately if, if people on social media could just be a little less patient, a little less loving, just a little less kind? There's too much kindness on social media. There's too much understanding. People are just too willing to, to hear the other person out before. Nobody? Nobody thinks that? Do you know how attractive patience and love and kindness is right now to the world if somebody could just be patient, love, loving, and kind? 
The Apostle Paul, he says this in verse 15, see that nobody pays back evil for evil. Don't play the world's games. Don't play the game. But always do good to each other and to all the people. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is patient. Why aren't we patient? Come on, somebody. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus constantly raising the bar. He says, love even your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What's this have to do with the end times? Well, everything. Because in a world desperate for love and kindness and patience and mercy and grace, church, we're the only ones who can offer the world the goodness of God because you can't give what you don't have to give. We have the spirit of God. We, we have the love of God. We have the grace of God. We have the kindness and the mercy of the Father. He gave it to us, not just so that we could hold on to it, but come on, somebody, we, so that we could share it with the world around us, so that we could use his love and his grace and mercy to, to win over the hearts of men to Jesus. Jesus. We have hope. In church, this, this world, we're, we're, we're running out of hope. The world is running out of hope. Running out of hope. Matter of fact, one of the, the prevailing messages in the world today is that in, like, what is it now? Is it about 12 years from now, global warming is going to kill everybody? Is that what it is, 12 years? If we don't do something about it now, we're all going to die. I'm not going to speak scientifically to this. I know that science shows that the earth, listen, has gotten warmer and colder since God created the world. Like it's just, it's fluctuated in time. So, so things are likely heating up, right? That's what science tells us. But I do not believe that we are going to die in 12 years. And I can show you in the word of God. I don't even have to get past the first book of the Bible to encourage you. I just want you to know this is a manufactured crisis to induce fear and panic into people because when you can cause people enough fear and panic, you can control them. And that's all that's happening. And I just want to encourage you with this thought that the earth will burn with fire according to the word of God but not at the hands of man it will be at the hands of God anybody encouraged by that but you don't even know the good part be, be careful you let me go on he's gonna burn us all no hold on hold on I'm not debating global warming, by the way. I, if the science says we're getting warmer, we're getting warmer, but it's not going to be the end of all things. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, it says this, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. We will still get our winters. We will still get our falls. We will still have spring, and we will still have summer. Now, I read this verse to you. Some of you might say, well, I don't believe that. How can you believe the Bible? Well, I do believe the Bible. 
And so I, I just want to encourage you, if you're a Christian, understand, don't let, don't let the prevailing message of the world get so much in your heart that you're living with fear like we're all going to die. Listen, just, just slow down, right? Don't believe the verse that says everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved and not this one. Don't believe Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, but don't believe that. Don't believe God is patient, God is kind, but don't believe this verse. If you're going to believe the Bible, believe all the Bible, right? If you're going to believe part of the word, then just go ahead and believe all of the word. But let me read this to you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 2-7. through seven. Do not forget the teaching of the Lord, the one who saves. First of all, I want you to know that in the last days, men will laugh at the truth. This just sounds ridiculous. They will follow their own sinful desires. They will say, he promised to come again. Where is he? But they want to forget the book of Genesis. Come on, somebody. That God spoke and the heavens were made. The heaven we see now and the earth we live on now have been kept by his word. And they will be kept until they are to be destroyed by fire. They will be kept until the day that men stand before God and sinners will be destroyed. The sun and the moon and the stars will burn up. The earth and all that is in it will be burned up. Since all these things are be, to be destroyed in this way, you should think about the kind of life you're living. Don't you think, right? Come on. <laughs> Your life should be holy and godlike, and you should look for the day of God to come. At that time, the heavens will be destroyed by fire, and the sun and moon and stars will melt away with much heat. So it's not just the earth warming up because of whatever, right? I mean, if, 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 if it's going to blow everything up, then there are angels in heaven right now saying, we've got to end the exhaust in those farting cows because we're all going to blow up and die, right? I think we're okay, church. I think we are. Just trying to bring a little biblical word in common sense. He goes on, he says, we are looking forward to what God has promised. Now, it doesn't sound such a great promise that the world's going to burn with fire, but here's his promise. That is that he is creating a new heavens and a new earth where only what is right and good will dwell there. Now, this is what's incredible. In other words, we can't destroy the world, but God will in order in order to make a new heaven and a new earth without sin, which is what we truly desire. It's what you truly desire, a world without sickness, without disease, without death, without destruction and chaos and worry, where only that which is right, holy, righteous, good will prevail. And he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne in heaven said, behold, I am making all things new. It is done, said the Lord. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the unrepentant murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. In other words, all the evil in all the world will be dealt with once and for all and only that 
which is good and holy and pleasing to the Lord will remain. Church, we ought to rejoice about that. Only that which is good and pleasing and holy and righteous will remain. I know this contradicts with the headline, but my hope's never been in the headline. My hope is in his word. Amen. That's why Paul can say this in verse 16. Always be joyful. No matter what's going on in the world around you, no matter what trouble you face this side of heaven, run with joy. Run with joy. I run with joy. Why? Because I know God wins. Because I know that, that, that those who belong to God win with God. I, I run with joy because I know that those who are in Christ will dwell with Christ forever. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he lifts his voice and the earth melts. I run with joy because the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I run with joy because weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. For you, my God, have turned for me my morning into dancing. My heart will sing your praises. I will not be silent, Lord, my God. I will praise you forever. Church, this is how we run with horses, with the covering of family, with intentionality and focus and purpose, with patience, love, and kindness, and with joy. Knowing that we who are in Christ, we will dwell with Christ forever. Amen? Would you do this? Would you stand up on your feet right now at every location? If you're in your home right now, wherever you're joining us from, would you stand up on your feet? And I would love to invite you, if, if you're okay with this, to just close your eyes and, and lift up your hands to heaven if you would. I just want us to pray together. I want us to pray together. Just say, Lord, I, I trust you and I need you. Drive out all the fear, all worry, all anxiety from my heart, from my home. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me through and through. Fill me, overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Empower me day by day to live for you. My hope is in you, not the headline. My hope is in Jesus. And I will trust you, and I will trust your word, and I will trust the leading of your Holy Spirit until the day you bring me home. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Nicole, let's worship him right now.